Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father, that you would open it up to us, that uh, we would read it and know how to live it. Uh, we love you and we honor you and we praise you and we thank you for the love that you've shown us through your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you. And now uh, help us, Lord. Help me to proclaim your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Since all these things, Peter writes, he's talking about the universe, the world, uh, and the, the heavens and the earth, everything in them. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Have you ever thought about what's going to happen to you after you die? You know, do you spend eternity on, on a cloud up in heaven, you know, uh, plucking on a harp? I remember thinking when I, was a, when I was a kid hearing messages about heaven, I remember thinking about that, that image of me sitting and playing a harp and, and angels around and clouds and everything as being incredibly boring. Uh, I wasn't really sure if that's where I wanted to end up, uh, but, uh, but there's a lot of questions about, you know, what happens to us when we die? What is our future going to be like? And I can't say that I've been there and come back and can tell you what it looks like or what exactly it is like, but we do know what the scriptures tell us, and many times what we have come to believe in our lives are actually at odds with the scriptures. Now, for example, I've heard from time to time that some people have this idea that we do go and stand before St. Peter in the pearly gates and, and end up there somehow uh, before Peter maybe playing a harp or, or something like that uh, up into a heaven-like kind of existence for all eternity. I know some people have a sense that maybe what we're going to experience is something akin to the Garden of Eden, and it's like we're all going to have our own little Garden of Eden. If you happen to be a Mormon, uh, you'll have the understanding that eventually you'll be God of your own planet, uh, and you'll rule over your own planet. Uh, there's a lot of kinds of concepts that people, uh, some in Christianity, some around the edges, such as the Mormons, uh, can come up with but actually, we don't often look at what the Bible really tells us and what Peter really tells us. Now, when I read a passage like this from Peter, I'm actually encouraged. I'm encouraged about the truth of the Bible, not only in terms of our faith in God, but even in terms of, of whether or not you, know, you can get clues in the Bible that it really is scientific. For example, in Peter's day, most people would not have understood the stars as heavenly bodies that were burning, that were burning fuel that eventually would burn out. But actually, when you look at what Peter says in this passage here, he tells us that the universe that we live in, particularly the heavenly bodies in this case, will eventually dissolve. They'll eventually burn out. They'll eventually cease to exist. In fact, 
Peter is telling us, and he told us in the passage we looked at last week, that the universe as we know it is temporary. The universe as we know it will stop existing. The universe as we know it was never intended by God to be the permanent, infinite, eternal universe. I remember when I was in school, in in, uh, elementary school, that we were taught that the universe was infinite, that it was infinitely old, and that it was infinitely large, that no matter how far you could go, uh, one way or another, you'd never get to the edge of the universe. Now we know... And by the way, that view of the universe completely contradicted the Bible. And so many people would say, well, since we know this about the universe, we know that the Bible can't be true. But now scientists know conclusively that the universe has limits. It doesn't go on infinitely, eternally, and it hasn't existed for all eternity. It has a beginning, and scientists know that left to even to its own devices, even without a God, the universe as we know it would come to an end. And that's what the Bible is telling us, that the universe as we know it will come to an end, that there's no going back to a Garden of Eden, there's no idea that we'll go someplace in this universe that will just continue to go on and on and on, that this universe will come to a close. And we might say, so what? Because actually, if there is no God, then the universe is going to go on a lot longer than any of us are going to be alive. I know that. Uh, And, you know, so so what difference does this make? What difference does this make? And Peter, in this passage, he tells us, actually, this makes all the difference. If you realize that the universe we live in was never destined to be an eternal universe, that the universe that we live in was never intended by God, to be his permanent creation, if you realize that the universe that we live in will one day cease to be, then it makes all the difference in the world as to how you live your lives. In fact, Peter says, in his first thing, points he makes here, he says, what sort of people, realizing this is true, and we even know it's true scientifically, realizing this is true, what sort of people ought we to be in godliness and holiness. What sort of people ought we to be as we live our lives in godliness and holiness? When we begin to realize that this universe is not the be-all and end-all of our existence, then we begin to realize that we are living for something else. Paul would tell us, you know, if it's only for this life that we're Christians, we're to be the most miserable people of all. So how do we live our lives realizing that this life is not the end, that this life is not the sum total of our existence? And Peter points us in a direction. He says, he's suggesting here that we need to be constantly thinking about how we live our lives in holiness and godliness. The idea of holiness is being set apart for God's sovereign purposes. Holiness is about being set aside for a special purpose. I remember when I was growing up, my mom had a, a, what we call a china cabinet. It'd be a china cupboard here. Had a glass front on it. She'd display her fine china. And we'd bring it out twice a year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And maybe 
uh, one or two other special occasions, but it was almost never used. It was set apart for a holy purpose. And when the Bible tells us that we're holy, what it's saying is that we have been set apart by God for a holy purpose, and this holy purpose should change the way we live our lives. Now, it's not saying that we all of a sudden should quit our jobs and go be monks somewhere. But it does mean that as we go into the marketplace, as we go into our workplaces, we need to be thinking, okay, I am set apart for God's purposes. How can I see God's purposes fulfilled here in this place? And like unto it, Peter says that we need to live lives of godliness. And the idea behind that is godlikeness. In other words, we want to live our lives so that we reflect the character of our Heavenly Father. I know many children, many sons. I've talked to many young men over the years. And, and many of them, at least at some point in time in their life, they say, I want to grow up and be like dad. It is the natural instinct of a child to imitate his father or a daughter to imitate her mother. It's the natural instinct that we have. And I think that's what Peter is pointing to here in this text. He's saying, as you live our li your life, realizing that this is not the end, then you need to be thinking, how do I live my life set apart for God's holy purposes, and how do I live my life as a reflection of God's character in Christ Jesus? How do I live my life as I'm interacting with the people in the marketplace, in my workplace? How do I live my life so that I'm reflecting the character and purposes of God in everything I do, no matter where I'm at? And that's especially important for us realizing that there's more to it than this. We go beyond this. And then the second thing he tells us, as we're considering all of this, we need to understand that we are waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. It's kind of a, a strange dynamic here that Peter creates for us. But he's saying, as we live our lives of holiness and godliness, as we live our lives reflecting the Father's character and fulfilling the Father's purposes, that there's a dynamic as we're living that we are actively waiting for the day of God. That means anticipating, looking ahead to the time when this universe, as we know it, will cease to exist, when the new thing that God has for us will be revealed, that we are waiting for that in anticipation. It's one of the reasons why we worship, by the way. It's one of the reasons why we pray. What do we pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer of waiting for the coming day of God. So we're waiting for, but then we're actually hastening the coming day of God. How do we hasten the coming day of God? We hasten it as we share the gospel. We hasten it as we advance God's kingdom. We hasten it as more and more people have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ because it's not God's desire that any should perish but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. But the truth is that not all will come to a knowledge of the truth. But as we are part of God's process for expanding his kingdom and seeing the gospel go to all nations of the world, we are in fact hastening the coming day of God. Because Jesus tells us that the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. So as we're doing the stuff of God, living our lives in holiness and godliness, waiting for his coming and actually hastening his coming, we're advancing his kingdom, and we're living lives to the glory of Jesus. 
But then it takes us back to the big question, okay, why? Why are we doing all of this? What, what's to come? Is it some kind of disembodied heavenly existence that we are looking for, that we're longing for? Or is there something deeper? Is there something more important? Is there something more profound that we're looking toward? And Peter tells us. He says we are looking for, longing for, waiting for the revelation of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Our eternal destiny is not on some cloud in some mythological heavenly place. Our eternal destiny, according to the scriptures, is a new heavens and a new earth. And that gets exciting. Our eternal destiny is not some passive singing for all eternity where, where there's, you know, we get bored with other timelessness. But our eternity is an active engagement with one another and with God in a new heaven and a new earth. That in fact, if there exists, and I do believe that there exists, a place like a heaven today, that heaven is not even our eternal destiny. That heaven is a paradise that we hang out in until the revelation of the new heavens and the new earth at the end of time when all of this passes away, when God removes and destroys and dissolves all of this and brings in the new heaven and the new earth. And the really awesome thing about the new heaven and the new earth is that it will be a place in which righteousness dwells. This is going to be a place where there's no more mourning, there's no more crying. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. It'll be a place where God himself is our light as we have an unhindered relationship with God. It will be a place where we have an unhindered relationship with one another. It will be a place completely governed by different laws of physics. You can see that if you look at Revelation 21 and 22 and see the description of the new Jerusalem that's part of the centerpiece of this new heaven and the new earth, it's going to be completely different in terms of physics the way we understand it. This is our eternal destiny, and in a sense, everything we do as we live our lives of holiness and godliness, and everything we do as we wait for and hasten the coming day of God, everything we're doing now is preparing us for our existence in that new heaven and the new earth. Everything we're doing now is training us to live more effectively and profitably and joyfully in that new reality that God is bringing around. And so we look for that day, and we don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but knowing that it's coming, knowing that what we're dealing with now is not the fullness, it's not the, the end knowing that the suffering and the struggling and the brokenness and the, the fractured reality that we live in in these days is not going to be the reality that we continue in in the new heavens and the new earth. It causes us to rejoice. But it should also cause us to step up and take note and say, one, we want to be ready for that reality. We want to allow God to train us and discipline us and disciple us so that we ourselves are properly prepared for that reality, that day, and how we'll live in that day. 
but also it gives us a glimpse into our mission as long as we live on this earth which is insofar as possible realizing that it's impossible but insofar as possible to bring that reality of a new heavens and a new earth into this heaven and this earth. To live in such a way that we give people a glimpse of what it's going to be like so that they hunger and thirst for it like we hunger and thirst for it. To show people that there is a, a, a possibility of living in a place where righteousness dwells. Where everything is right and everything is proper according to God's, wills, God's will and God's ways. To show people that this reality can be and they don't want to miss it. And the only way to get to it is through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the one in whom all heaven and all earth has been united and the one who is our foretaste and foreshadowing of that new heaven and new earth where all things will be united in him. And that's our reality that we're looking for. It's not some heaven, but it's this new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells because it's a place where our Lord and Savior Jesus dwells. Father God, thank you so much for this glimpse of what you are doing, of how you, are, how you have created and are recreating the universe in which we live. You're an amazing God. And we thank you for this encouragement. And we pray that you'd help us to live in the power of your Holy Spirit by your grace as people godly and holy, as people set apart for your purposes. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. We pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.